It's all a moot point. <laughs> like a cow's opinion. Just doesn't matter. It's moot. Welcome to this week's very exciting Moo Points episode. Uh, Dr. X here. And Sammy Mead. Um, and today we're going to be discussing some very popular documentary style shows that cover uh, true crime cases. So HBO's The Jinx, Netflix's Making a Murderer, and even though it's not a TV show, season one of Serial, um, a podcast from the producers of This American Life. So we'll start with a quick rundown of each one of those shows, and then we have some discussion points we want to delve into. But first, we just want to say that we are not at all experts in crime, criminal justice, police work, journalism. Um, and some of the issues that we're going to talk about are very serious. And we do have opinions, but we don't want you to think that we have any, actually, any actual authority to make definitive points. So everything we know we've learned from Reddit or CSI or Dexter. So <laughs> take it all with a grain of salt, but definitely listen and enjoy our arguments. Just don't use anything we say as incontrovertible evidence. All right, so yeah, let's just start with a very brief overview. Do you want to do Making a Murderer first? Yeah, sure. So this is the most recent of the three. Uh, Making a Murderer follows the story of Stephen Avery. Um, after serving 18 years behind bars for a sexual assault, new DNA technology conclusively exonerated him. Two, two years later, um, as he was very close to collecting compensation for his wrongful, wrongful conviction, DNA evidence linked him to a murder case. Uh, do you want to talk about Serial? Yeah, sure. So season one of the podcast Serial was about the 1999 murder of a girl named Heyman Lee. And her ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed, was arrested after her disappearance and the discovery of her body a month later. And this kid, Adnan, pleads innocent and still to this day claims he had nothing to do with this crime, but he's serving a life sentence in a supermax prison right now. And the podcast kind of delved into all the evidence and really the lack thereof since the entire prosecution's case was based on the testimony of one key witness and some questionable cell tower records. Um, and Serial has been downloaded over 68 million times. Wow. Popular co podcast. All right, who's doing the jinx? Um, I can talk about the jinx. Cool. So uh, the jinx is about Robert Durst, who is linked to three crimes but was convicted of none of them. Um, the disappearance of his first wife, the death of his best friend, and then the death of his neighbor. Um, and we'll later discuss uh, the role of the creators of this documentary and how they actually participated in finding um, evidence that led to his arrest. Yeah, so basically it's two people who may have been wrongfully convicted and then one guy who was maybe wrongfully acquitted. Right. In the jinx. Yeah. So three very similar but also very different shows. Mm -hmm. So I guess the first discussion point we really want to get into is kind of how okay is this whole concept of using true crime and people's real life tragedies as entertainment? Like there's kind of, um, kind of a thin line between exploitation and investigation and what is happening in these three documentaries. So like I know when I was into the Jinx and Serial, people were, t were talking about it like it was the best new crime show. They were tweeting like free Adnan and throwing finale listening parties for Serial. And then when Robert Durst was arrested two days before the finale, everyone was all upset because it was spoiling the finale of the documentary. 
And so that's very much how you react, not to someone's real life tragedy, but you know, to something you're watching for entertainment. Um, but on the other hand, I thought making a murderer was much less entertaining and nobody was really gonna throw a party for that one. It was very, there's no flashbacks or animations or anything. It was kind of a sad, eye-opening, awareness-spreading message of how the justice system messed up. Mm -hmm. So I think they all, all three of them have very different styles and maybe different priorities. But I don't only think it's okay to do this. I think it's really important that there's media released about true crime, even if it does, um, you know, exploit. exploit some families that obviously are involved in great tragedies. I think it's really important that these documentaries and podcasts are inspiring discussion about the injustices. I think at the end of the day, maybe you're right, but like, are people actually learning or are they like, what happened on last week's episode and let me tweet this random theory I have and like, are, you know, if the main purpose of the documentary beyond finding the truth is entertaining, is it doing its job? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's totally okay that um, people are finding entertainment in this and treating it like, you know, drama on TV. Because even if it's like subconsciously doing so, it's, it's making people think about what is wrong in the justice system. So just to, just to, another con to contradict that point a little, I have a little excerpt from uh, the brother of the victim whose, whose murder was investigated on Serial, Heyman Lee. Her brother post, made this post on Reddit because Reddit was very much, very much blowing up mm -hmm. um, when Serial was on. And I'll just read you a little excerpt from it. He says, uh, sorry, I won't be answering any questions here because to me, this is real life. To you listeners, it's another murder mystery crime drama, another episode of CSI. You weren't there to see your mom crying every night, having a heart attack when she got the news that the body was found and going to court almost every day for a year, seeing your mom weeping, crying and fainting. You don't know what we went through, especially to those who are demanding our family response and having a meetup. You guys are disgusting. Shame on you. I pray that you don't have to go through what we went through and have your story blasted to five million listeners. Yeah, I think it's really terrible that their family is being harassed and that's crossing a line, I think. But just the production and like advertisement, I guess, of these true crime cases is important. Yeah, and okay, so my overall conclusion is kind of the same. So. There's a net positive here. Mm -hmm. um, even if these family stories are being exploited for entertainment, people are becoming more aware of how the justice system works. And because we have a jury system, those are the people who are going to be in juries deciding whether people are acquitted or convicted. And so anytime people are learning more about the justice system, it's a net positive. Mm -hmm. So we just have to have informed citizens or else our whole legal system won't work. Um, and then also these other documentaries in uh, I, um, Making a Murderer and The Jinx kind of illuminated how economic class and then with serial how race and maybe disabilities kind of come into play when you talk about the justice system. And both serial and Making a Murderer really highlight confirmation bias. So when the police zero in on a suspect and then just kind of make all the evidence fit. Mm -hmm. And so the more people know that that's a thing, that police are human, they're not these superheroes, and that they're affected by racism, classism, etc., 
that's very important for to, for our whole system to have informed juries. Yeah. So yeah, net positive, but definitely a question of whether this exploiting thing is okay. Um, I want to talk about how impartial or biased each of these three true crime presentations are. Um, okay. So obviously the jinx has an assignment. Like, they are looking for evidence against Robert Durst um, because it's very clear that he is linked to all three of these crimes. Um, right. The they thought he was guilty for all along and they were looking to show right. it. Kind of. They didn't tell him that. Right. But... And then in Serial... <laughs> that was very clear. I think she's, um, she's very impartial. She talks to as many different sources as she can... And she herself is trying to find the right answer. What do you think of her? Yeah. Yeah. So I think Serial was the most objective of, of these three because she was live journaling. So in episode one, she had no idea what was going to happen in episode six. So as she was going, she was uncovering it. Um, however, she ended up coming like day one. She talked to Adan and said, this guy doesn't sound like a killer. Like I just in my gut don't think he's a killer. And she said the exact same thing in the last episode. Mm -hmm. So I think she did all along kind of, ha she didn't say, she said if she was in that courtroom, she would have had to acquit as a person on the jury. Um, she didn't conclusively say he is innocent or find a huge piece of evidence or anything, but I don't know that, I think she liked him. I think, I don't know that she was completely objective, but I will give her credit for not, for, yeah, showing all sides of the story and keeping out things that could that were so speculative and not grounded in evidence that uh, even though it could have been so she, like for example I'm thinking of that rumor against Adnan that was really really crazy and probably would have made a really good radio show and people would have been t like talking about it and maybe would have gotten more downloads for Serial but she didn't present it because it wasn't backed up enough to be legit journalism so that's cool so I, I think yeah I yeah. think it's totally fine for her to have an opinion but her reporting was very objective. Yeah, yeah, it was objective. It was a good, good storytelling. Yeah. Um, and then I know in Making a Murderer, there's been a lot of um, conflict, I guess, revolving around how biased it is. Um, what do you think of that? You only, yeah, so Making a Murderer is very one-sided. You don't actually hear the voice of the filmmakers, but they follow around the defense team, they follow around Stephen Avery's family and Brendan Dassey's family, the two people who were convicted for these murders. But we never follow around the prosecution or the police. It's very sympathetic to the family and to the defense team. And so it, it's, and you know, you never see any evidence or finding evidence on the police side. It, they very clearly want you to come out thinking that these people were wrongfully convicted. Okay, well, I actually disagree. I, when I first saw the documentary, I thought, like, wow, this is really one-sided. It only follows the defense. But I listened to a few interviews with the creators, um, and last night I actually saw an interview with both, with both Kratz, um, the DA, and the um, Dean String, which was Stephen's lawyer. And I actually came out thinking that this is a lot more objective than I first thought. Um, why is that? So the interviewer asked Kratz, what was the most persuasive piece of evidence that the documentary left out that the prosecution introduced in trial? Um, and he said that 
They found Avery's DNA on the hood latch of Teresa's car, um, which... So not, not that one spot of blood that... No, it was non-blood DNA. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty huge. Yeah, that's pretty huge. And the doctor have not heard left that, that out. Um, and then uh, when it was Dean Strang's turn to talk, he was saying that um, that evidence like, could have been transferred to her car just like anything else. And um, it wasn't the prosecution's strongest piece of evidence. Like They decided to focus more on the blood. And because the documentary had, I think, over like 200 hours of footage, they had to cut it down to 10. And they really did bring Kratz's most conclusive evidence to the show. Like, so what you just said to me makes this seem extremely one-sided. Because the first thing, when you say non-blood evidence, I'm thinking, how the hell would the police... The police had Stephen Avery's blood from his previous right. conviction. How the hell were they going to plant? What kind of evidence, what kind of DNA was it? So Kratz said that it could have been, like, it might have been sweat. And then... Can you collect then, yeah, sweat? Yeah, String said that it could be um, collected from anything that Stephen Avery had previously touched. He could have been his hand on the table while he was being interviewed, something like that. Like, I it's have just... never heard, of, I mean, like I said before, we're not really experts in this, but I have never heard of sweat DNA, but Well, that was, a, it wasn't, like, factual that it was sweat DNA. That's just what Kratz said. And then huh. Dean Strang said that it could have been transferred as easily. The defense attorney. Right. It could have been transferred as easily as anything else, and that it wasn't included just because it was not the strongest piece of evidence. You know, like. So you think the documentary filmmakers really presented the prosecution's case as strongly as it could have. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's, well, yeah. there's been a lot of, like, Ken Kratz wrote a blog or something like that about, like, a quote that said the documentary left out 90% of the evidence, but it really does present the, the prosecution's strongest points. I've heard a couple other things really, really not grounded in anything real, just on Reddit. Mm -hmm. And people where people were saying that all that his uh, juvenile, Stephen Avery's juvenile record was a lot less innocuous than you think. So the documentary kind of skims over like, oh, he did a couple bad things when he was little. But apparently those were like really bad. Um, according to people on Reddit, he like tortured animals and did all this other crazy stuff that the documentary skimmed over. And then I also heard, what was it? That he specifically requested Teresa Hallback as his photographer. Mm -hmm. Like he had some kind of obsession with her. But again, both of those, I, both of those things do seem minor when you look at the huge actual lack of physical evidence in this case. Right. So yeah, I mean, actually, at the end of the day. Yeah, they brought that stuff up in the interview that I saw. Um, and the... Avery's attorney just said, you know, it really doesn't suggest a fixation on her. It just suggests that she was she good was at a good her photographer. job. Yeah, her <laughs> yeah that's what I thought, yeah. too. Like, well, why wouldn't you request the same photographer? I don't really know. It really, this was a really, really crazy situation. Yeah. Either way, it's kind of, like, insane. Like, if he did commit the murder after 18 years of a wrongful <coughs> conviction, or if the cops framed him there just like either there way. is just no evidence that Stephen Avery committed this crime 
And based on the footage from the documentary, Brendan Dassey was coerced into a confession, like straight up, right. clearly. Had just nothing to do with this crime. So, yeah. So you think that one's actually pretty unbiased. Even though, but they never, why didn't Kratz, why wasn't Kratz featured as actually part of the documentary? Did he opt out of that? Um, I think that You know, he, if it was a truly objective documentary, it would have followed both sides, I think. Right. Um, Maybe. I think that in terms of, like, preparing for the trial, both sides were pretty secretive of giving interviews. Mm. Um, so really the only thing they had leading up to that was interviews with the family, not really with the defense team or with the prosecution. Interesting. But yeah, I do think it's a lot more objective than I did when I first saw it after hearing these interviews. Yeah, so basically Kratz had nothing more. Like when you hear Kratz talk, he's not exactly making any points that lead you to believe that there was something huge the documentary left out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's pretty. God, that guy sucks. Yeah. And then um, this was actually really he's recent. Just horrible. He responded. So you know how he got debarred from sending inappropriate texts? Yeah, he was, he was like, sending sexually harassing texts to victims in cases he was assigned to. Yeah, so he responded to that, and he said he was um, dependent on a prescription drug which altered his behavior. Wow. Yeah, so I just can't stand that guy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. He doesn't take responsibility for anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the DA. Yeah, this so, is crazy. Honestly. We should move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, get yeah, on to our next the, point. Okay, so um, should we just talk about the endings of all three of them? Sure. And compare and contrast? Yeah. You can, you can talk about the jinx since you saw it last. This, the jinx probably had the the, the... the ending of the jinx was probably the absolute craziest hour of television I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. Yeah, it was amazing. So what happened at the end was the creators of the, um, of the jinx found evidence that almost conclusively... Um, proved he was involved in the murder. It was, um, so when the neighbor was killed, uh, an anonymous letter was sent to the police with the body's address and the word cadaver. And they found a letter that Robert Durst wrote to the friend. Um, it was addressed to the same address. And they compared the handwriting and it was exactly the same. And this- Like this was weird handwriting. Yeah, it was it like- was It was letters. Yeah, and, all caps. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the same word that was spelled wrong. It was just very yeah. clearly written by the same person. Yeah. Yeah, and then at the end of the interview, they actually present him with this evidence. And so they sit him down and, they're, and they actually like, show him the evidence that proves he's a murderer on, on, on camera. Right. Sorry, continue. <laughs> he's just, just building it up. Yeah, here. it's crazy. He's very calm <laughs> when he first sees it. He just like says, like, wow, they do really look alike, but I definitely wrote this one, but did not write this letter to the police. Like, he's very calm. Um, and then, at the end of the interview, he goes into the restroom, and um, he still has his mic on, which he does not know about it, and you can hear him, like, talking to himself, and he actually confesses. Yeah, he got well, okay, he says, like, wow, they really have you now. Like, what did I do? I killed them all. Like he says on on Phil on on the tape, yeah. I killed them all. When he thinks his mic is off, yeah. So, so that's and then 
they say unrelated to the documentary, but this dude was arrested like around the same time that this this um, episode aired. And I mean, that was just crazy. It was crazy that the filmmakers took this risk instead of as soon as they found this handwriting letter. Mm -hmm. They probably should have just handed it over to the police, but instead they decided to film his reaction to it, mm -hmm. which is kind of questionable, but made really good TV. It was yeah. really crazy. Definitely the most um, like satisfying ending of the three. Yes, <laughs> yes. The most satisfying ending of the three, for sure. Like, Serial did not have a eureka moment or a mind-blowing conclusion. Um, but this was, you know, this was a podcast hosted by a storyteller, like not a detective or even a crime reporter. So we got her, we got to hear her opinion. She said, um, she said, I have a little, yeah, a quote from her. She said, if you ask me to swear that Adnan said is innocent, I couldn't do it. I nursed out. I didn't like that. I do, but I do. Uh, most of the time I think he didn't do it for big reasons, like the utter lack of evidence, but also for small reasons, things he said to me just off the cuff or moments when he's cried on the phone. Um, and tried to stifle it. If so, I wouldn't. So I wouldn't hear. And just the bare fact of why on earth would a guilty man agree to let me do this story unless he was cocky to the point of delusion? And she also says that if she were in the jury, she would have to acquit him. But we don't really get anything satisfying here. It was a good. It was a good objective ending, but you know, mm -hmm. a little disappointing. Right. And then making a murderer was just depressing. Yeah, it was just horrible. We got to see these two guys who at this point we've seen 10 hours of why they're innocent, just both get life sentences. Yeah. Stephen Avery, no possibility of parole. Brendan Dassey, possibility of parole in like 50 years or something. Yeah. And then, you know, they appealed all the way to the Supreme Court of Wisconsin and just got rejected, rejected, rejected. Mm -hmm. And we, we, were a little, we were kind of spoiled for the ending. I can't really imagine watching, having seen this documentary, not knowing if they were going to be convicted or not, because I would have been 100% sure that they were both acquitted. Yeah, but it's... So uh, we, knew, we knew we were kind of spoiled for the end. I still but... had like a twinge of hope that like, how could he possibly be convicted? I don't know. I just but... don't know. But It was shocking, but more of like a, in a sad, twisted way than the jinx where, you, where it was just crazy TV. Right. So speaking of shocking things, let's go through our most shocking moment of each documentary. Mm -hmm. Let's start with, what should we start with? Let's start with the jinx because I already... Okay. I guess. Okay. So mine, mine was the obvious one, the, the taped confession when the mic was off and he says, what the hell did I do? I killed them all. Um, but also because that one was so obvious, uh, it's just the most shocking episode of the yeah. thing. But I also want, had an honorable mention of when he steals the same, this guy is a, he, the, he's like a real estate, like, I don't know what the, the term is, but he has millions and millions and millions of dollars. This guy's very, very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And he stole a sandwich. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, what? to me, that was like, this guy just wants to get caught. Like, he has, he's either a psychopath or he has some clear, like, guilt conscience. He just walked into a store and stole a sandwich. Mm -hmm. This, like, billionaire. That was one of the most shocking moments for me, too. Yeah. What was yours? Um, obviously, besides, like, his confession, um, when he was on trial for the death of his neighbor, he pleaded self-defense. Um, but he also mutilated the body, like Dexter style, sawed off all his limbs and threw him in the river. Right. And he got acquitted for murdering this body because he pleaded self-defense. I thought that was shocking. It really was. Yeah. It, yeah, it really was. Yeah. Like the, the body, he said that he fell on top of him while he was trying to like push the gun away. 
but the torso of the body was just like completely bruised and it was not consistent with just one fall. No. Yeah, it was. Like the dude clearly, clearly murdered these people and he just had the best lawyers in the world because he was so rich mm -hmm. and he just kept getting acquitted. It was crazy. Okay, what was your most shocking moment for cereal? Um, I guess I really wanted her to follow the lead with Mr. S, which was the guy who found the body in the park while he was going to pee on the side of the road. Um, but he walked like a mile and a half to exactly where the body was. Right. Super suspicious, dude. The yeah. body was really he, hidden. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just kind of shocking that the police didn't follow that at all. Actually, they did. He was the first suspect, and they gave him two... They um, gave him two lie detector tests, actually, and he oh, okay. failed the first one. Huh. This is like... I just know this from other sources, because I've really delved into <laughs> this case recently. But yeah, actually, Mr. S was one of the first suspects, but he... So the theory is that he knew where the body was, but he had nothing to do with the death because he failed a lie detector test that was like, were you really just peeing on the side of the road or was something suspicious? He failed that one, mm -hmm. but then they gave him another one that was just like, do you know how, who this girl is? Do you know how she died? Were you involved in the murder? And he passed that. Like he didn't, he didn't have anything to do with the murder, but the theory is that he knew the body was there. Like rumors were going around. He maybe witnessed something. Okay. But... He didn't kill her. But yeah, it's true that that was shocking. That whole, that whole thing was crazy. They really just zeroed in on Adnan. The police yeah. did, yes. They didn't, yeah, absolutely. What about for you? Oh, Jay. Jay is the most shocking thing about Serial. The star witness. This is like the reason Adnan is in jail. And like, what is the deal with this guy? Is he a Brandon Dassey who just got one, which is what I think. I think he had nothing to do with this crime and got coerced into testifying against Adnan for his own safety. But, like, what? How, like this was a normal, intelligent guy. How did he know some, all these details about the crime? Why was the prosecution choosing a defense attorney for him? What kind of weird deals did he have with the police? Yeah. How did he know where his car was? Like, what? Jay is just, Jay is shocking. Mm -hmm. So everything about Jay, the witness in the case, was that was my most shocking thing about Serial. I, it's kind of a cop-out because it's like the whole case, yeah. but <laughs> whatever. It's still very shocking, I think. And then for Making a Murderer, it's like I could do a top 50 most shocking moments because this entire documentary was like shocker after shocker after Every shocker. Every single presentation of evidence was just like, was like, oh my God. Yeah. I think... I think... No, okay, you can Okay, go. well, the moment for me where I was just like, completely angry with the world was when they showed how the blood vial that was submitted into evidence, how the seal was broken. I think that yeah. was just like... I had that too. I was but I have completely like jaw to the ground. How did like, this Like how was that not enough? The blood vial that they had from Stephen Avery from his first crime that he was later exonerated from, the seal was broken on that and somehow his blood was found on Teresa, the new murder victim's car. Right. Like, are you serious? Mm -hmm. It was completely insane. Uh, mine, well, I had that one too, but really for me, the most like just insane thing was watching the investigator that Brendan Dassey, Brendan Dassey just 
to give you, to remind people who haven't seen this in a while, was the nephew of Stephen Avery, and he got a life sentence for being an accomplice to this murder. Um, so my most shocking moment was watching the, and he, had, he was mentally challenged. So watching the investigator that Brendan's defense attorney hired coerce him into drawing how the murder happened, and this kid clearly had no idea how this murder happened because he was uninvolved in this murder. And this investigator was saying, okay, now draw the victim chained to the bed right here. And he would draw it. Now draw you shooting her. And he would draw it. And later, this was allowed in court as a confession. And this, I mean, it is just completely, completely insane how this happened. Right. That was my yeah, most shocking moment. Yeah, that was really... It was just heartbreaking. This kid had no idea what was happening. He did not realize he was confessing to murder. He was just getting praised when he was doing what the police wanted him to. And then when he would say, I don't know, they would say, you're being bad. This is bad. You're going to go to jail forever. So, he, I mean, they just completely manipulated this kid into confessing to murder. And he had no idea what was happening. Yeah. That's really terrible. Um, yeah. So after watching all of these, which one, like inspired you to take the most action whether that's like investigating on your own or just participating in discussions on reddit well i signed the change.org petition to to have obama pardon stephen avery today <laughs> i did that too i think there was something crazy like three hundred thousand people have signed it already yeah three hundred thousand people have signed it i mean if you watch this documentary like you have to yeah. <laughs> and then um yeah, we, we talk a lot about Reddit because we spend a lot of time on Reddit, but it's just so interesting to see what discussions are like on there for all three of these cases because people have really delved into them. And for Serial especially, it's out of control. Like, there are people on the Serial subreddit, sorry if we're insulting you and you're listening, but like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> like, they have deluded themselves into thinking that they are detectives and pathologists. People have copies of all the police files, like hundreds and hundreds of pages of police files autopsy pictures of Heyman Lee's body they've rendered 3d models of the body like and stuff kind of expands so like one guy has access to all the files or something and he'll say something or interpret something in a way that he's really not qualified to do because he's just a rando on reddit with no you know knowledge and then that thing will just get repeated and repeated and repeated and blown up and suddenly it's fact and there's this huge weird mob mentality bandwagon effect on reddit um and then the consensus on the serial Reddit is that Adnan is guilty. And it just seems like none of that is based in fact. It's this crazy bandwagon situation like I've never seen before. But it's kind of worth checking out just because it's mind-blowing. Yeah, you've also and then, listened to Undisclosed, right? Yeah, and I have listened to Undisclosed, which is a podcast kind of more... Which is less objective. Its whole purpose is kind of to exonerate Adnan. But it's, and it, it's more um, a legal approach and gives a lot more details. But after listening to Undisclosed, I'm far more convinced that Adnan is innocent. And then for Making a Murderer, um, the Reddit is a lot. It's definitely the consensus is that Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey are innocent. But there's a lot less amateur investigation going on. Like, there's no one camped out on Jay's lawn like there was for Syria. Like, <laughs> these people aren't investigating so much as discussing the justice system, which I think is a better effect. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a post from special ed teachers talking about how easy it would be to talk Brendan Dassey into that confession. Like, they know students like this, and that would absolutely happen. And a lot more just kind of academic discussion for making a murderer than this 
amateur investigating going on for serial yeah. on the internet. Which I think is a very so, yeah. positive outcome of some of a documentary like it's this. A, it's a, some good, yeah, it's a good discussion, definitely. Mm-hmm. I've really, I, not really for the jinx, because that was kind of open and shut, done deal, I'm convinced he's guilty, but for the other two, I definitely delved into the case details and just... I love this stuff. It's fascinating, especially the legal stuff. Mm-hmm. Just the justice system. Yeah, I definitely learned a lot from watching and yeah. listening to these. Yeah, so to close it off, should we just talk about the role of the creators in each one? I think that was our last point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously the jinx, I think, had the most significant influence on the actual case. They found evidence. Um, right. And they also had a big role. They talked to us in the documentary. Like, you can mm-hmm. see them set up the interview, and they're nervous. And I don't know. They're, they're people, you know, they're normal people like us, and they talk. Yeah. They narrate. You got, they hold your hand through the case. Uh-huh. So that was interesting. And similarly, Sarah Koenig and Julia Snyder, from, the producer from Serial, they're hilarious. Like, they're storytellers, and they have no idea what's going on. Like, there's this really funny moment when they're, like, trying to take the same path that the victim him and Lee would have taken after school to see if it fit the timeline, if it's possible to get out, drive here, then drive there. And it's like this very serious moment because they're timing themselves and it's really tight. And the producer, Julia Sander, goes, hey, look, there's a shrimp sale at the Crab Crib. And that's like become this huge joke on the internet. Like, they're just like totally normal people. And it's just cool listening to their opinions change as it goes through. Yeah. And then Making a Murderer had no... I mean, I guess I have no idea who the creators are. They never talk. There's never any hand-holding. It's just uh, video from the trial, video from the news, and then interviews with the family. But they never talk. Right. So I don't even know who they are. Yeah, yeah. so I listened to an interview with them. Um, their names are Moira Demos and Laura Ricciardi. Um, and they were film students. And Wow, that is quite a project for a student. Yeah, they had no idea that it was going to take 10 years <laughs> um, That's amazing. to gather all this. But I think their main role was just establishing a relationship with the Averys, like the whole family. They did a great job for students. I mean, they got the defense team to let them follow them around. That's amazing. Yeah. And the family. That's cool. Yeah. So they just... Did they say why they chose not to be on tape? They just... Um, they, they didn't talk about that. I think um, they really just wanted to gather... Um, footage. They <laughs> only wanted people to talk about what they were directly involved in. They, that's like a quote mm. from their interview, I guess. But mm. so they probably didn't feel they had a right to talk. Interesting. Yeah. I, my biggest criticism of making a murderer would probably be how these kids did not want to part with one shred of footage they got over the past ten years. I mean, I'm sure they did cut it down, but like it seemed those first three episodes before it got crazy was just like, why is there a twenty minute long interview with this random person I don't care about? Yeah. Like, it got crazy, but it's, I guess it seemed like there was just a lot of just footage that didn't need to be there. Yeah, they're definitely, they gathered a lot of information. And they didn't want to part them in. Yeah. They did a good job, though. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else? Um, I think that, I mean, I could go on and on. I love I know. These, yeah. yeah, these were all just so good yeah. to watch. But please contact us if you guys have anything to add. Unless you're from the serial subreddit, in which case we don't want to hear from you. <laughs> all right. Anyone else, feel free. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks. See you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Move Points Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. We are at MoodPointsPod. Or send us an email at MoodPointsPodcast at gmail.com. Our Tumblr page is MoodPointsPodcast.tumblr.com. And we'd love to hear from you about new ideas, questions, or any feedback you may have. Thanks for listening.